If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to continue our sermon series called One Gospel. And this incredible book that Paul gave to us is actually a letter, a bit of an edgy letter. But it reminds us that we have one hope and one gospel. And the gospel is amazingly good news of what God has done. Not what we do, but what God has done through his son, Jesus, our Lord, through his life, death, and resurrection, we truly can find forgiveness in our own life and in reality that we could be a part of God's family. It's such good news. Well, happy Reformation Sunday. Uh, you may or may not know it, but this is Reformation Sunday. We celebrate that it was five hundred years ago, uh, this incredible reformation began and this reformation that transformed my life and many of our lives and transformed the world and continues to do it. It was 500 years ago on October 31st, 1517, where a German monk by the name of Martin Luther went to the Wittenberg church, a town in which he lived in and worked in, And he nailed upon the church door 95 theses. As the nail pierced that church door, they not only pierced the church door, it really pierced the church at the time as well. It would pierce the entire world. This reformation would begin. But what would cause a monk to walk down the street with a hammer and nail and and 95 points that he has an argument with, with the church, the church in which employed him, What would he do? What would cause him to go and just nail those 95 theses like a bulletin board onto the church door? Well, it was what the corruption the church had gotten into. The church that he was a part of, they were were doing things. The biggest thing was they were selling indulgences. Interestingly, to raise money for the church, they had this crazy, terribly sinful idea of let's go to the people and let's sell indulgences so that People can buy them, and as they buy them, they could buy their salvation. Or what they really did is they say they can buy the salvation of loved ones who are in a place called purgatory. Uh, Not sure that's not in the Bible, but out of hell, that you can spring them out by purchasing this indulgence. Can you imagine trying to buy your way into heaven? You wouldn't try to do that, would you? Well, that reality is what the church was doing, but it was not just what the church was doing It was what the church wasn't doing that infuriated Luther. And what they weren't doing is they weren't preaching the gospel. They weren't making the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, crystal clear that this good news is, again, not that what we have to do, or it's not just good advice, but in Christ Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be set free. Well, that day uh, back in 1517, it was 12 years before that, that something happened that pierced Luther's life. At the time, Luther was a young law student. It was 1505. He was studying to be law. His dad was so proud. He was going to be the most educated one in the family. And yet, as he was on horseback that day, uh, such a thunderstorm, lightning storm came up that it scared him to death. Have you ever been in that kind of storm? It really just kind of knocked him off his horse and And he was so terrified that he prayed that foxhole prayer. God, if you save me, I will serve you. If you save me, I will give my life to you. And God did. God rescued him. So Luther, man of his word, he gave up studying law to studying God's law, and he became a monk. 
He became a monk, and he became a monk hoping that, that becoming more religious by studying God's law more, that he'd have a relationship with God because Luther felt like God was really mad at him. Luther felt like, and it's true, that God is holy and God was without sin. And Luther knew that he was a mess. So he thought, man, if I could just study hard enough, if I could just do enough right things, God will no longer be mad at me. God will accept me. But the crazy thing is, is the more Luther studied the law of God, the worse he became. And the more, the worse he became, he realized, I can't do it. I just can't be good enough. I can't do enough. And the more he, the worse he became, the more he hated God. He really gave, grew to loathe God. He says, I just can't please this God. This holy God just won't let me go. And he started to hate him. Well, one day, Luther was reading in the book of Romans. Now, that wasn't accessible to all of us in that day. Back those days, just the church, just the religious leaders had God's word. And as he had access to God's word, he was reading through another epistle of Paul's. We're in Galatians. He was reading through Romans. And he was reading in Romans 1, 16 and 17. And this piercing of his heart that would change his life, that would begin the Protestant Reformation and change many of our lives was out of this passage. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul would write, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not even just the righteousness of man, but this righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther began to realize that the gospel is this good news that reveals not the righteousness of man, but the righteousness of God. Luther was trying to be good enough so God would like him. And he realizes as the gospel, God gives us his own righteousness by believing in him. Luther began to realize that God's gospel was based on God's promises, the promises of God, not the law of God. It's so important. The gospel is based on the promises of God, not the law of God. And the promises of God are to believe, be believed, not the law that we are to obey. In our text this morning, we're going to look at that dichotomy between the promises of the law versus the promises of the gospel versus the law. The promises that God gave to Abraham. He gave to Abraham. And the same God also gave the law to Moses. If you've been around the church, if you've been around Christianity, you know there's sometimes the gospel and the law are like oil and water or the promises and the law. How do they mix? In today's text, they'll show us, well, this is what the promises are and the promises are unchanging. And this is what the law will do. We're gonna see three things this morning. The promises will make us a family of God. The promise of God for one blessed family. The second thing, the law of God that points us to the promises of God and how much we need them. And then we'll see the portrait of the blessed family of God. And my hope and prayer for every one of you as we hear this sermon is that you'll see yourself in the portrait, in the family portrait, and know by God's grace how we are to get there. So let's look to this God's promise and this promised family in Galatians 3. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Galatians 3, verses 15 through 29. Let me remind you, the apostle Paul wrote this a long time ago to certain churches in the Galatia area, but because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote it for you and he wrote it for me because these are God's words. God wants to speak to you this morning. He doesn't want to just entertain you. He wants to transform you. 
He wants to remind you of this gospel, this good news. He wants to call you to family. So let's draw near to the word of God to hear from our great God. Verse 15. To give a human example, Paul writes, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into his offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards, after the promise, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, this promised offspring, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law and imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, having put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you all, all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, what incredible promise that you gave to Abraham and that you give to us through Jesus that we could be a part of your family, that we could receive all of your blessings. And that through us, the world can be blessed. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the promises you've given to us. We thank you for the law that you gave to Moses and to us. And how that shows us who we are and how much we need your grace and the reality of your promise. Oh, God, I pray because we're talking about things like law and gospel and grace and works. That you would come and be very clear to all of us that you would be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me. Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your, your promise and what this promise means for us? Would you give us hearts to embrace this promise and this truth and to believe in this promise? And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? Not that we need to, to obey to receive something, but because through your promises, 
And through embracing Christ as, your, as our Savior, we've received everything. God, may we walk in a manner worthy of that calling. God, the things that I say that are wrong or just merely my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me with my outline, there'll be one for you in your bulletin. You can follow along. And the first thing we're going to see this morning is this incredible promise of God for one blessed family. And it's interesting, this promise of God is this one family, but the promises are realized by believing. The language that Paul is using here, he's talking about a covenant, man-made covenant that's not annulled. He's talking about a will. Uh, If you have a will, a last will and testimony, uh, it will not be annulled by other people's actions. I mean, those are your, that's your desire. That's what your will is for your family. And Paul is using that analogy of a will. He's saying, well, this has always been God's desire. God's desire for one family in God. This is his will, his last will and testament. And that desire of the family are through promises. Now, here's the reality. We become a part of that. The promises of God are to be believed. And as we believe in the promise of God, and specifically through the seed of promise, Christ Jesus, we are made a family. You know, it's interesting to see that God has promised this to Abraham. And who is this Abraham? Well, God called Abraham to go to a land that was not his own. He came to Abraham and he made this incredible promise. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a family. I'm going to make out of you, Abraham, a family. Now listen, not just any family, but a ridiculously big family. Now, Abraham, I want you to go outside and look up, look up to the stars. You see all those stars there? Your family's going to be more than them. Now, the thing that makes this promise even more beautiful or maybe even more unbelievable is this was an old dude with zero kids. This is a guy whose wife was past childbirth age, and yet God is going to make this promise to him saying, man, I'm going to make you a family. I'm going to make you a huge family. But not just that, God says, I'm not going to just make you a a big family. God says, I'm going to make you my family. You're going to be God's family. I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. Now, we know that God has made every one of us. We are all made in his image. I guess you could say all of the earth is, is God's. It's true. But this is God's unique family. God has a unique family according to scripture. Those he's called to himself. Those who believe in the promises. He comes to Abraham and says, not only are you going to have a family, it's going to be a big one. Not only that, it's going to be mine. This is going to be God's family. But God's promise to Abraham to be not just his family and God's family, but to be his blessed family. That in this relationship of family, we receive God's blessings. This blessed seed, this family to all the inheritance, all the blessings of God. Paul will say in Ephesians 1.3, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are ours because of family, are ours in Christ Jesus. So we are a blessed family because in God, he blesses his family. But watch this. We not only receive God's blessing, we're to distribute God's blessing. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. So why? So that you will be a blessing to all nations. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all. Well, how in the world was that going to become a reality? 
Well, it was through Abraham's seed. And I love what Paul is saying. Not seeds many, but seeds singular. God made a promise to Abraham and to his seed. And that seed will become Jesus. And that seed is the one who will come and give us life and life abundantly. That seed will come and he will fight death and he will win. He will become our sin so we can become his righteousness. That seed is the one that will bring us into the family. That is our hope. And it says that we are blessed and we are made family, ready for this? By believing. By believing in the promises, we are made family. And what I love about this is this is God's plan. And in God's promises, here's what God says. I will, I will, I will, I will be your God. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a family. I will bless you. You see, the promises of God are unconditional and free. And they're solely what God promises is to do for us in Christ Jesus. And we're gonna get to the law in a minute. But what does the law say to us? Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. And here you have the promises of God, a God who's so beautiful and gracious, who says, by the way, I wanna make you family. I'm gonna take everything, all the requirements of bringing you to the family, adoption, all that stuff, I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna do it all. Here's your responsibility. Believe. What incredible grace. And this is not only that, he'll give us even the ability to believe. But it's interesting, it's through Abraham. Abraham is gonna have this family of blessing. He's the family of hope. But Abraham's also a family of problem. If you read his story, Abraham's a mess like you and me. He's a knucklehead. He does a lot of wrong things. And so he's both part of the problem and part of the cure. It reminds me of a cool Coldplay song, Clocks. Am I a part of the cure or part of the disease? And as Christians, we say, yes, we have this sin and brokenness still in us. But in Christ Jesus, we carry the solution to every problem the world ever faced. And that is Jesus. And he, he, he and he alone can cure us. You see, the reality is, is God promised one blessed family and how we become that is by believing. The second thing is this, not only that, the, uh, he gives us the law, the law of God that points us to the promises of God. So to try to figure out, okay, so Abraham came and he made all these promises. So why did 430 years later, God come to Moses and give him all these to-dos? What was that, that law all about? See, the law of God is to be obeyed. The promises of God are to be believed. But the problem is, no one obeys. So why would God give us a law that no one can keep? Why would God give us a standard that we all fail? Why would he do that? Well, the law was never given to us to try to make us righteous or justify us. It was to show us that we're not righteous. The law was given to point us to the promises. You can't do this on your own. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't get enough, give enough. You can't do it on your own. So really the law was given to us that points us to a savior. The law is kind of like a mirror. It's like a mirror that reveals to us our sinfulness. It's like a backdrop to God's promises. When we look to the law, we say, oh my goodness, man, do I need help? It's interesting what Paul says. The law was given to add added for transgressions. It was basically to say, to show us that through the law, we became, we, we realized Romans 3.20, man, that we're sinners. And because of that, we die. 
You see, the law didn't come to make us better. It came to make us worse. But really, to drive us to Jesus. It says in this, it's kind of like a tutor. It's like a tutor that teaches us. And that word tutor can, it's not really meaning it's, it's, it's educating us. It's more of a tutor that's disciplining us. And maybe the best way we could see it is a coach. The law is like a coach that points out what we're supposed to do and points out what we failed to do. And it keeps on saying, oh, 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 this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to do it. Oh, 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 this is how you, you, you failed to do this. And this is what the law has done. It's like a coach. It, it tutors us. It reminds us that well, this is what we're to do, not, not to do, but it can't do it for us. And it reveals to us how sinful we are. It's interesting. How many coaches have won a national championship? Now, don't tell me how many won a national championship. The coach is there, I know, but no coach can ever do it. You have to have the players execute it. I mean, you have to, have, so, so a coach can't do it for you. The law can't make you righteous. Trying to be religious doesn't make you right with God. Trying to be moral isn't enough. It's not going to do it. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show you how desperately you needed the promises of God and that promised seed to come and to set us free. You see, I don't think we could ever know the good news until we ever fully understood the bad news. And so the, the, the law, it says it imprisons us. It holds us captive. It enslaves us. We realize that, ready for it, watch this, that we're not, just, we're, not, we're not just sinning, but we're slaves to sin. We can't help but sin. Let's hit pause here. Is that true of your life? Even when you try to do the right thing, are you not sliding off and doing the wrong thing? Is that the wrong thing always right there with you? I mean, see, the law enslaves us and shows us not only we have a sin problem, we are slaves to this problem and we need to be set free. We need the promises. You see, the law did not negate the promises of God. They amplified our need for the promises of God. It was given to bruise us. It was given to bind us so that we pine for salvation. We pine for the, we we long for the promise to come and to set us free. We long for Jesus. That's what the law is given for. Let me ask you this question. Do we live, do you live your life by the promise or do you try to live your life by the law? So if you live your life by the promise, you know that good days, bad days, highs and lows, that you're forgiven and free because of not what you did, but what Christ has done. And you believe in the promises. And because of that, you're adopted in the family. And you live on the promises and you know that, that although you are prone to wander, that God is loving you and he'll never let you go. If you're living by the law, you have a lot of guilt, ton of shame. You're trying tons of restarts. I mean, every day is like a new commitment. I'm going to get better today. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to run a little harder. I'm going to try a little better. I'm going to try to be a little bit moral because I just want to please God. I'm going to tell you, the law will never get you there. And the reason they have the law was to point to the fact that Jesus gets us there by his grace. How are you living according to the promises or according to the law? Remember, to live by the law is to believe and to have faith. To live by the law is to obey and do works. But we're never given the promises of God. Listen, we're never given the promises of God by doing. It's only by believing. And lastly, we see the portrait of the blessed family of God. As it goes on, it says that we who are in Christ Jesus, and this is a, 
we are united to Christ by faith in believing. And it's this incredible mystery the Bible says that if you are a Christian, if you've come to the place where you've embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are called in Christ. The way that God will see us, our union now uh, with Christ, that he is our righteousness, he is our justification, he is our life, he is our hope. It's in him that we have our name and our being, and it's in him that the Father sees us. So he doesn't see us as just broken and and those who are filled with sin um, and disappointment. He sees us, we've put on Christ, we've been baptized in Christ Jesus. Now we're not saved by our baptism, but our baptism declares that we are his and we've put on Christ like a garment. We wear his righteousness. And in Christ Jesus, all those blessings flow. You see, the portrait of the family begins with this. Are you in Christ Jesus? Now, let me remind you, you're not in Christ Jesus because of a religious ceremony. Remember, Paul was railing against circumcision, saying that some people said, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need circumcision. I think in today's day and age, it's like, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need baptism. And you also need this, and you also need that. You need to make sure you're doing these. And it's Jesus alone that we are in Christ Jesus, where the promises come. But it says more than that. It says not only in Christ, listen to this. We are now sons of God. Now, this is going to be really unpacked in next week's sermon. But this is amazing that he calls us sons of God. What we know about God is this, that God is the universal creator of all. He is the universal king, but he's only known as father. He's only known as father through those who have faith in Jesus Christ alone. Only by those that God's grace, that he draws us in the family. And for those of us, he calls us his sons. Now, let me hit pause here too. You may think, well, this is not really... Uh, socially correct in today's day and age. And he calls us sons. Shouldn't he call us sons and daughters? And I think if we, we're going to get to this in just a minute, but if we look at this in the biblical context, for God to call us through the promise sons is the greatest blessing he can give to us. Why? It's because through the sons, the blessings flowed. And through the beloved son, the blessings flowed. And the reality is, male or female, young or old, he treats us like a beloved son. And then the reality is, all the inheritance is ours in Christ Jesus. All the blessings flow. We are his sons. That's where we find our identity. And our union with Christ, we're not treated as slaves, but we're treated as sons. But it comes out to say even more. We are one in Christ. He wants to make sure this oneness is understood. He says, now, listen, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're a son of God. Not only that, there's no more Jew. There's no more Gentile, no slave, no free, no male, no female. So what is he saying there? Is he just blurring all the distinctions? He's saying this, that we are equal. We are equal in our need for salvation. There's not one religion that makes you more righteous than another. It's not better being male or female. We're all broken sinners. We're all equal in our need for salvation. We're all equal in our inability to gain salvation. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough. All equal. We're equal in the reality that we all freely need salvation that God offers to us in Christ Jesus, and he adopts all of us. Well, God's will has always been for our oneness. I love this reality. Even in Jesus's high priestly prayer in the gospel of John, he prays that we would be one as the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit are one. But I also love the fact that 
that oneness that he tells us that in the book of Revelation at the end, in the new heavens and new earth, that he's going to bring one family together. It's going to have every tribe, tongue, nation, and people all as one. But we don't lose our distinction. In Christ Jesus, you're still male and female. You're still Jew or Gentile. But there's a beauty that we're one. You see, this does not mean that racial, social, or sexual distinctions are actually obliterated. It doesn't abolish them as if they don't exist. It's basically saying they're no, they no longer matter when it comes to fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. We're one. We live in a time where gender and different roles are in question. You can even self-identify yourself of how you want to be remembered or described. I just heard of my son-in-law who's in med school, has introduced himself in certain settings. My name's Todd. I prefer his, him, and uh, his, him, he. This is how I want to be known. As if you have the ability to say that this is how I want to be known, different from your gender. You see, any part of trying to become one, a part of Christ is very dysfunctional. What scripture is very clear about is this. God made male and he made female. He made them different, watch this, and he made them in his own image, both male and female. And it's beautiful to him. Now we shouldn't have a distinction that one's better than the other, that one is more lovable by God. But the reality is, is he's made us that. He's made us our race. He's made us Jew or Gentile. But in Christ Jesus, we are one. And we got to be careful not to lose those distinctions. That's not what Paul is saying. He's just talking about the unity we have in Christ. But it tells us even more, something that's happening in our society today as well. Our oneness means that there is absolutely no place in our church, our society for superiority, for racism or bigotry. Then we're one. We, We have nothing to boast about. If you are loved by God and a part of the portrait of God's family, ready for this, it's all by God's grace. We deserve none of it. He loves us because he loves us and he sent us Christ Jesus. We can't boast because of a political party. We can't boast because of a denomination. We can't boast because of a skin color. We can't boast because of a particular political party. All that boasting is done. We are who we are in Christ Jesus alone. We belong to him and it's blessed. God loves red, yellow, black, and white. He's gathering them all in his sight. They're all a part of his family. And may we be a church that celebrates that beauty. And may we fight against anyone who thinks about the superiority or the racism as a bigotry that we face every day. Lastly in this is we are Abraham's offspring. It's basically saying, hey, it's incredible that in Christ Jesus, he's come. Those blessings that were offered so long ago, they flow to us that we're his, we're his family. How? By believing in Christ Jesus, by believing in that seed to come, all the blessings of Abraham, all the blessings of God flow to us. What does this mean? Whoever you are, wherever you've been, if you are in Christ, you're part of Abraham's offspring. Our lives have connection. God has connected. He's attached the unattached. God has connected us. He's given us meaning in him. We find our place in his story. We find our place in society, our place in history, because we find our place in God's unfolding story as his family. We find our place because we're a part of God's family. Our picture's on his refrigerator. We're it. 
We're the portrait of God's family in Christ Jesus. Are you a part of that picture? Reformation Sunday. Has the point of the Reformation pierced your heart? And what is that point? That the promises of God, that contain the blessings of God, flow to us by believing in our great God. And as we believe in his promises and his promised seed to come that lived for us the righteous life we failed to live, that died for us the death we deserved to die, was resurrected for us so that we are resurrected in him and now life reigns in us. And now in him, we have been made a part of God's family. Oh, the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And in Christ Jesus, that is what we are. Are you a part of God's family portrait? Remember, you're only there by believing in the promises. And if that is you, now we live like the family. We live like God's family. What does it look like to live, love, live like God's family? We love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And you watch this. We're to obey God's law out of gratitude. No longer out of fear, not trying to have it earn something we could never have, but because we've received everything. We believed in God's promised son. And now God has given us a law to, to make us more like him and to help us become like him. We are God's family in Christ Jesus. And if that's the reality, the blessings flow to us. But also, if that's the reality, you are blessed to be a blessing. Yes, to all nations, to your nation, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your workspace. If you are in Christ Jesus, that family portrait, he's blessed you to bless others in the name of Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. Be you. Be you in love with Jesus, loving the promises of God that have set you free and made you his and let the world see Jesus through you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for not only the promises that you gave to Abraham and to us, the promises we see from Genesis 3 all the way through scripture, that you would provide a seed to come and to make us your family and that seed is Jesus we thank you that by believing in him as our Lord and Savior, all the blessings that you offer flow to us. But God, to be a part of your family, to be identified with your son, to be not remembered by our sin and our brokenness, but by, to be remembered by his righteousness and his life and death for us. What an incredible blessed life we have. God, we thank you for the law. God, help us to never use the law in a manner that wasn't given to us to try to justify us, but to use the law properly as a mirror to reveal to us how much we need the promises. And now once we've embraced Christ as a guide to help us to become more like Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here that you would examine each one of our hearts. Are we in the family portrait or not? The scary thing is, God, is some people think they're in the family picture because of religion or something that they've done. But that's not the gospel. We're only a part of the family because of what you've done and what we've believed in your promises. So, God, I pray for those who, who maybe even think that they're, they're there, but they're not because, God, they've never truly made Jesus their Lord and Savior. May today be the day. And for the rest of us who by your grace, or in that family portrait. 
God, may you cause us to live in a lifestyle that reflects the beauty of Jesus so the world will see you in us. And we thank you for the way you love us and provide for us in Christ Jesus. Amen.